A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show and something of an experiment. Because if anyone has seen the Handforth Parish Council Zoom meeting, well, I think a lot of us had quite a big reaction to it. It was very entertaining. But what I really took away from it was all of those interpersonal dynamics, seeing people's egos at play. And it made me realize how much I miss my mates being at events and giving someone a side eye when somebody said something a bit ridiculous rather than actually saying anything at the time. And it just made me think, you know what? Let's try a new format. Let's have our own little town meeting. And so I asked three of my dearest friends, my clever friend and the forensic beauty journalist, Claire Coleman to join, the wonderful Joe Jones, who is the co-founder of the Beauty Banks and PR maestro extraordinaire. And who else? But Nadine Baggett, who is a skincare expert, an all-round just kind of doyen of everything, really, aren't you, Nadine? How do you describe yourself? I'm a, I'm a health and beauty journalist. Always have been, always will be. Don't talk about the term we, expert. It's currently a very hot topic. I know. As soon as I said it, I thought, oh, blimey, that's our WhatsApp conversation Ooh. come to light. <laughs> right, so Claire, say hello so everyone recognises your voice if they haven't heard Hello. You. Hello. Uh, Joe, say hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> and the dean is there. So actually, okay, let's dig into this because I said to the ladies, guys, I want to have a conversation completely free form, but let's just go in with the hook of email etiquette. But can we talk about the expert thing? Because actually we've had a couple of WhatsApp conversations about this and it is so true and valid. So Nadine, what is the whole thing about experts? So the term expert is being applied across digital and social media, and it appears you need no qualifications to be an expert. Now, the argument will be, do you need qualifications or do you need experience or do you need knowledge? I would say it was a combination of uh, all three, but uh, it's open for discussion. But I feel like it's, it's something that I've come across before because people on Twitter have said to me, oh, you know, how do you decide who you speak to? How do you decide who is an expert? And I think, like you say, there is a whole load of stuff. There is there's qualifications for a start, but there are supremely qualified people who I would never go to because I just don't necessarily rate their opinion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I sound so arrogant. Um, but then there are also, there, but, you know, it's, it's time served as well. And I think it is, like you say, you kind of, you look at who's out there, you see kind of what their output has been previously as well. And decide whether like the basis on which they're making decisions so I, there are some very young um like early uh, recently qualified doctors who are looking and specializing in dermatology they've not been in the industry very long but when i speak to them they are citing papers and sending me links to research and stuff like that and so from that point of view i rate them as experts i do think like since i've been working with three dermatologists which I've never done before but I have worked on several skincare brands over the um my time in PR you just realize what an expert actually is um and it's 
to them it's just you know years and years and years of training but also of actually dealing with people face to face and their issues and being hands-on with someone's skin you know I don't think that there was a clubhouse talk that I was in the other day with a load of um makeup artists who were um you know self-taught and all of this kind of stuff and I'm all for that I think it's great but it doesn't earn you that your dues in your industry of those girls and guys that have dragged suitcases around everywhere that have fought that have been on sets from six o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night and then done off you know doing doing all of that other stuff that because you're a you want to be a professional as well as an expert and I think that they I don't know I think sitting in front of your computer and doing stuff is brilliant and I think it will get you so far but I think you need a bit of a mix of the of the two don't you I don't even think I'm answering the question no it's very much I think it's interesting <laughs> because I was going to actually ask you because in your role as a PR working with people who had brands whose very brand would have involved them being an expert or seen as an expert in some way if you were able to tell the difference and so it is really interesting that you can and part of it is about just being hands-on and actually doing what doing your expertise so not just talking about it but actually performing the service there's certain things like if people come to me and say someone asked me the other day about a skin and me thing um I'm not using it on my marinette lines and under my eyes because I've read something and someone tells me not to and I'm like well I've spoken to the dermatologists (laughs) and when it comes to expertise, they are also consultant dermatologists. They know what they're talking about. They say it's safe as long as you're using low concentrations. I think where they were getting mixed up is where people, you know, you, if you go straight into using a 1% retinol and you never used retinol before, don't put it around your but eye. But I think it's, it's about specifics, isn't it? Because there are some really eminent dermatologists who have done a huge amount of research, who have done a lot of years in practice. But if I wanted to talk to them about a relatively new ingredient or a trend ingredient, I probably wouldn't go to them because I don't expect them to have, I don't expect them to have that sort of knowledge or it's not the sort of thing that they're interested but in. But that's because you're bringing your expertise to the table. So you're Mm. able to discern an expert from an expert. I I, I think what's interesting from my point of view is people are always saying to me, how do we describe you? And for some reason, journalist has got quite a bad reputation. I'm very proud to be a journalist. My expertise is as being a journalist and choosing the right expert for the subject I'm writing about. Mm. Yeah, you're right, actually. Right? making yeah. it actually translatable so people want to actually read and that's, it I'm and my accessible. expertise is communication yeah. but okay so I did a radio show before Christmas and I was asked to go on this radio show and it was about they said it was about mental health and then I was asked the question don't you think in the pandemic people have realized that fashion and beauty or beauty in particular it's all a bit of a nonsense and that was when I spouted off the thing about it being a 30 billion pound industry and sort of you know said that piece but as I was talking Somebody in the comments section, because it was a little bit like this. So we were all on video and um, I think it was streamed on Facebook and people were asking questions. And then this guy wrote, I think using, I think people use the term journalist a little bit too loosely because I had at the top of the show introduced myself as a beauty journalist, not because I think I am, but because I think those are two words when put together, it gives people the quickest route to understand probably what I do. 
if in that particular context why wouldn't on a you, podcast. I don't understand why you I, wouldn't describe yourself as a as a, a beauty and well-being podcaster. Well, I said I'm a podcaster, but I'm probably better. I was started off my career as a beauty journalist, and that was how I umbrella termed my early career, rather than. I was a beauty writer on a celebrity magazine. It's just, it's quicker, isn't but it? It's, but it's also, and, as, as Claire would say, you know, there are, there are dermatologists who are young and newly qualified. There are dermatologists who've been around 30 years. There are journalists who have only started writing and journalists who've been around 40 years. So there's a slow development of experience and knowledge that can make you an expert in your field. I think the problem is the term expert is banded around left, right and center probably by a group of people who don't know how to differentiate between somebody who has some level of knowledge and somebody who just has an opinion. But I think that's really true as well, because like I know I have in the past, like, I've been interviewing a psychologist or whatever, and he said to me, this isn't like psychology. This is just the sort of conversation you could have with someone at a bus stop. And I said, yeah, but by virtue of the fact that you're a psychologist, the fact that you'd have this conversation with, a bus, with someone at a bus stop is more important than the fact that I could just as easily have this conversation. And he then said to me, and hence the cult of expertise is born, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. If you were to say that you were an expert at something, forget your job, what would you say you were an expert at? Oh, nice one, Jojo. Telling the truth. <laughs> Being brutally Nonsense. honest, you only you're, you're not that you only honest if it's not hurtful. And I think that I don't like it when people say that they're honest because that to me that means that they just have the gateway that gives them exactly. permission to be an absolute asshole, which you would never do, and you're non-confrontational as well. So that's actually a bit of a misleading comment. That's somebody I that think. knows me quite well. Did Back you get that? <laughs> But if you do, uh, yeah. But if you do ask for Nadine's opinion, if you do to say directly, he will up. tell you. Yeah, you have to buckle up because yeah. I've done that a few times with her, and I won't do it again. But I think don't you get to a certain age where you like? I know which of my friends I go to when I want someone to say they're there. It's all right, and mm. I am absolutely astounded if anyone comes to me and is surprised <laughs> when I tell them how it is, and then they're bothered by it. I mean, it's just like no one comes to me for me to go, "No, love, you're doing the right thing. Carry on." <laughs> unless I genuinely think, unless I really. Also, think it's that. that quality, Claire, that makes you the best forensic beauty journalist in the industry. I don't want the to be dean is so desperate for you to trademark that. I don't want to be sugar soaked by you, Claire. I want to be slapped down and rubbed down and kicked back out into the world. Do you mean soft soaked or sugar coated? Soft soaped or sugar coated? Either, either way, sugar coated. I don't expect either from Claire Coleman. You're not going to get it. That's why we love her. Mm, it is 100%. Okay, so I'm going to rail us back to the reason why we started. And as I said in my email to you guys, oh, we can go. Come... <laughs> oh, That's what they were doing on the, on the town hall thing. Didn't you hear it? Were <laughs> oh, you having a moment? Yes. No, so... it's the whole point was the guy in the background going, shut up, fuck off, fuck off. And he thought that nobody could hear him because he was whispering. Oh, I see. Jackie, I would, do you know what? Okay. <laughs> I really loved the people who stayed pretty quiet for the majority. 
and then at the end started to actually talk in a way that obviously had relevance to why they had had that parish council in the first place but were making little snide jokes about the people who clearly are the people who always suck the air out of the room the guy who wants to have his ego rubbed and be given a title all of those sorts of things but I said we can go off in any direction and you could we can shout at each other as much as you want um I'm not going to ask you to make me the chair of this podcast <laughs> too late you've already assumed that role haven't you I know but Did I wanted in writing in? I don't remember voting for her let's have a vote do you know how these rules work Jackie <laughs> but uh we can, like I said we can go up in any direction and you may refer to me as Britney Spears but the, the topic I thought would be quite interesting to discuss is email etiquette and not least because I think we've had to learn a new way of communicating because we don't have any in-person communication anymore. And I think it's made how we speak to each other on text, on voice notes, which is something Nadine has embraced recently. And- uh... Only because I'm too old to type with two fingers. I get so frustrated with myself. I just go, fuck this, sorry. Press the little microphone and rant. So I, I love them. I think they're absolutely hilarious. So anyway, Claire, in terms of email etiquette, do you think there has been a change in the way you communicate? And do you feel as though, and this is me projecting onto you, but I feel like I have much firmer email boundaries now than I did before this time last year. I mean, the thing that I have about email is that I have to remind myself to put niceties at the beginning and the end of them. I genuinely do because, I mean, and I, that makes me sound like a terrible person, but I kind of feel like email should be functional. Like I... I mean, we've, I think we've all had this conversation about like, oh, you know, I got an email the other day that was like, oh, I hope you're feeling so much better now. Boris has announced blah, blah, blah. And the sun is shining anyway. And then went into something completely random. And I was just a bit like, I didn't need that bit. I know that this is a press release. Don't like, you know, I just, yeah. Um, but do I think things have changed? I don't know. I feel like sometimes I've had I've been sending emails back and forward and then I've just picked up the phone because I think we forget that there is it is still possible to pick up the phone and have a conversation and sometimes those conversations are just so much easier to have rather than bouncing emails backwards and forwards. Yeah I, th I think that um, phone calls are a lost art but it's interesting you say about niceties. Nadine do you do you put niceties at the top? Of oh the I'm at the proper old school beauty editor trained kisses I mean to the point where I put kisses on the other day I sent an email to my accountant and put kisses on the end and I thought I've never even met this man how embarrassing is that and it was so funny because in the first lockdown I went into lockdown with my boyfriend so we shared a working space and I just read some of his emails and I just said you're being so rude and he said I'm not being rude it's a business Nadine these people aren't my friends and I just thought that's so interesting because I think we could all channel that slightly, but I'm absolutely old school trained beauty editor. Hi, how are you? Hope you're well. Just to let you know, I must apologize for, that's me. So, but that's only if I know somebody, I'm not overly friendly otherwise, but I don't think my email etiquette has changed at all because I have always had really strong boundaries and the power of the delete button supersedes all. That's interesting. So I'm going to talk about my experience with email, but I'm, I'm just going to flag up. Joe, could you close your curtain a bit? Because we can't see you. Oh, yeah. We've just, it's just literally like you're Either that or she's got a poltergeist like, in her computer. Or an <laughs> iOS or an ayahuasca tent. So I, I wouldn't put anything past Joe. If she could get <laughs> ayahuasca, she would. 
<laughs> well, that will be the next gorgeous. town meeting. That's perfect. You can see your face. So um, I am. I agree with you, Claire. I think emails are functional, and so I have been really guilty of being the person who writes, "Hi, insert name here. Please find attached documents." Best wishes, Emma. <laughs> Just because I think they should be quite functional. But interestingly, I was watching a talk by this guy called Chris Voss, who is the former chief negotiator, hostage negotiator for the FBI. And it was fascinating. And he actually talked about email communication. And some of the things he said were, were if your email is longer than five lines, then it's too, it's too long. You're saying too much. And actually, it made me go through my inbox and look at messages and think, God, he's absolutely bang on. Every message that tries to go on, like all of those very long, complicated minutes of meetings, they are so unnecessary. And the other thing he said is always, always, if you don't know the, the answer to something, just always say, oh, I'm, you're going to think I'm such an idiot. But do you mind explaining that to me again? So long story short, I watched this in December. I've it's really changed how I have emailed and it has completely changed the kind of conversations I'm having in my inbox. So what do you do now differently? That's I mean, apart from keeping it short. I, are you nicer? Because I do think, like, I've like I've read books by hostage negotiators and stuff like that before, and their whole thing is about creating rapport. Mm. And But I feel like there is a difference between creating rapport and being kind of false. And a lot of the stuff, when I get an email that says, hi, lovely, from someone that I've never met yeah. before... Joe, I think you should speak rather than just well, no, making non-verbal communication. We are talk we're talking <laughs> about emails from PR. So, Joe, what's your take on it? See, I've, I've, um, I was pretty strict. So, I used to run a team of about, th I think it was about thirty-five people at one point, and I was very strict with. Um, I never let anyone in the team. No, everyone in the team knew never to put a kiss in an email to me internally. Oh, and I don't when they a were kiss. Sent, uh, I don't mind a kiss. No, and not in what, like it's work. It's like, I'm your sort of effectively your scene, you know, I would not do it to my scene, like bosses or whatever. It's like, it's weird. Why are you giving, like that to me is not, it's not the di workplace dynamic, you know, it doesn't belong in that, in that space. Um, but also I was very, you know, a lot about PR is about being succinct and getting to the point. If I get an email and it's got more than three lines in it, and I don't know who it's from, I just don't read it. I mean, I don't, when I left TCS, I had 24,661 unread emails in my inbox. <laughs> okay, girls, come on. I, How I, many unread emails have you got in your inbox? None. I'm not that person, none. I'm the opposite. I I, I oh my God. A like, single I, unread email, a single unread text, a single unread WhatsApp. I just do not have oh. a red alert on my phone. No, I don't know. Like I have. Oh. I've got four hundred. I've got. I've got, got about four hundred and fifty-one. But then that's because I leave stuff unread. If I read it and don't action it immediately, then I leave well, it unread. unread. And sometimes, yeah. yeah. And so sometimes I go back to all oh, there's stuff that I kind of think, oh, I should like check on that later or whatever. I mean, to be fair, this is. I don't normally get to more than like 500 before I go back through all the unread ones and work out. By that time, I realised that some of them is stuff that I didn't need anywhere and I could have just deleted it at the time because I was never going to go to that event or write about that product or whatever. I don't get, I literally don't and, care. I just, okay, so this, I, I have no, this is the interesting thing. Interesting. Okay, all three of us are self-employed. All three of us have never had a team, right? 
she's had a team that's the difference right so but so also you worked in a business where presumably you were copied in on like a million yeah. different emails oh, that are yeah. just not important but the, but no. the difference and now is joe is self-employed and i'm telling you as a lesson joe you cannot leave emails unread because you will miss financial opportunity and that is oh yeah i definitely have but what i've done in um in other ways is saved myself a lot of time <laughs> I just, I just think that I, I quite live for a nudge. So I don't mind it if people give me a nudge. Um, I do miss things. I do miss a lot of things, but I think the things that I care about, I pick up. And if I did pay more attention to it, I'd spend more time in my inbox than I would doing anything else. I actually turn off my email when I'm doing something um, that I need to do. Like it's off now and I will turn it off. I won't turn it back on until, because I just find it really distracting and it stops me from being productive. I also just think that it's a redundant medium of connecting with people that you don't know. I think there's, there's very, it, it, it just doesn't work anymore. You know, it used to be that it was the best way of reaching. So what do you use? I remember like How the, does a young PR reach out to Claire or Emma or myself without email because they're not picking up the phone what how are they supposed to reach out without email oh no i'm not talking about them necessarily i'm talking about me so i don't care about people anymore because i don't have a team <laughs> <laughs> i don't care what they do <laughs> you know, it's, really, it's really interesting because um when emma and i were chatting about this and and taking part in this so i do not take it personally when joe doesn't get back to me I, I just don't, I don't take it personally. I know that's her MO and I'm not offended yeah. by it. And I just know that I will send her a text. She'll have read it. She'll be in the middle of stacking a whole host of stuff for beauty banks. She'll be in the middle of a meeting. I'm never offended. I don't take it personally if she doesn't get back to me, but she's one of the few people who are like that. And if I've got friends with young children, if they don't get back to me on email or they don't get back to me on text, I'm not, you, can't, you have to learn not to take it, any of this stuff personally. Well, so. the email... I think I'd be upset if I knew I was upsetting people. And it generally, for me, is that I'll see something and I think, right, I'll do that when I've got a minute. Because I don't like giving people half of my time or like what I used to hate. I used to have this client and when I would phone him, he would pick up and go, I can't speak right now. Call you back. And I used to think, well, don't bloody answer the phone then. Do you know what I mean? But he would always do it. And but to him, he was being polite because he was acknowledging the call and that it was important to him and just telling me that he couldn't answer. But, you know, I also don't I just don't really like the phone that much. I it's it's it very interesting very for somebody that has made her an entire career and is, was at one point, let's be honest here, the single most important beauty PR in the industry. You'd think she'd really love communicating. You couldn't give I you do, a handbag. But oh, I do in person and I do, I can deal like this, but the phone I find, I don't know, we were just never allowed on it when we were kids. Okay, let me ask you this then, Joe, because in person and people will get this from you've been on the show before and they can hear it now. Like when you're in a situation, whether it's a group situation like this or whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, you are so dynamic and you are so engaged. Like if I'm talking to you, I am... I am a hundred percent aware that I have got your full attention. So then, so then I think it would be really interesting. Like if I text you and I didn't hear back it in my mind, there would be a part of me that would think, Oh, maybe we weren't, we didn't get on as well as I thought. Yeah, but that's your issue. Emma. Yeah. <laughs> no, 
no, that, but I'm wondering whether that's, no, obviously that's my issue. That's what I'm saying. And this is what we're going to come on to a little bit about boundaries. But do you, have you had that before in that it, does anyone ever say you blow hot and cold? Whereas I might get a similar thing because sometimes my messages are, su- are succinct. But when I meet people face to face, I'm engaged. So I wonder if actually the way that we, Basically, if the way that you communicate, whether it's in person or on email or whatever, if they're not aligned, then it can be a bit of a screw yeah, up. like a, a bit confusing. confusing. Yeah. Yeah. I just think the people that I've, I don't know, I maybe, but I just think I always am very honest about the, you need to nudge me. Like it was, it just, it was very well established even when I was at work, like, don't bother sending Joe an email. She doesn't read them all. And it wasn't because I didn't give, what I would love is if people just, um, what I used to tell people at work was just come and stand at my desk, like come and like come and actually physically stand there. I'm, I'll be really pleased to see you. I'm really pleased to help you. And it will take me two minutes to do that. Whereas actually if I have to go through email and then I'm really particular with email as well like I want to make sure that I've copy checked it and it doesn't make me that was another thing I hate when you see grammaticals in emails and when people put that thing on the bottom I I know that do you know when they say please excuse any typos I'm on the move what you should say is please excuse any typos I'm either too fucking lazy to read and um my work right to make sure or I'm happy to present myself as an idiot. That's what I see because I think it's really sloppy and it is a presentation of who you are. And if you spell separately, which so many people do or definitely or use complimentary in the wrong way, I will judge you. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if you're a writer or a PR because that's your bloody job. Actually, Claire, there was a sign off that you really dislike as well the um, one about my office hours or like I don't respond to emails oh. <laughs> yeah I mean like I just kind of think and it's really difficult because I know that there's been a lot of talk during the pandemic about how people have become more aware of the difference between professional or the, like the the lack of difference between professional and personal because so many people are working from home um and so many people are kind of trying to juggle a million different things and you know maybe I'm speaking from a very privileged position because you know I'm not homeschooling I'm not looking after babies it like you know I've, I've got myself and that's it but I just I don't know like I have always been felt that there should be like when you're working you're working and I don't need to tell people that I've gone to a doctor's appointment or that like the reason why I didn't get back to them was this, that or the other, or that, you know, I'm in a meeting and I do just find like, yeah, email sign off that, or you should get a bounce back that says, I only check my email at 10 AM, 2 PM and 4 PM. And I just kind of think, well, then you're in the wrong business because I write for a daily newspaper. <laughs> well, do you know, that's a t- I'm pretty sure that's a Tim Ferriss thing. And I think I know the email. I actually think I know whose email that is. And that is definitely from his four hour work week, which is about making your working time more efficient. And this brings me back and Nadine, I'd be interested to know what you think about this. So I totally get what he's trying to say, which is have boundaries, only check your email between nine and 10, between 12 and one and between four and five. That way the time that is in between is not muddied or distracted by your email box. My thing is that you can only, you can do that without announcing it. Yes, exactly that. And, and that's exactly it's it. how you I react. Just, 
and I think that's the thing it's like I feel like I have boundaries like uh, my phone is not set to push emails to me and so if I'm emailed outside of what I consider to be working hours I don't feel any compulsion to respond until and like and I know that some people do do that thing which is the sign of being I'm emailing you outside of working hours because it's convenient for me I don't expect you to respond until convenient for you or whatever and I just kind of think Oh, come on. Like, we're there all are so up. many apps where you can delay or just save it in drafts. And when you wake up in the morning or when you get to your desk, send them all. I, or I, just don't be bothered if you get an email over the weekend and I don't expect anyone to respond to it. I just kind of think I feel guilty when I send emails over the weekend and then I get a response. I then do reply going, I'm really sorry. I didn't expect anyone to be checking their email until Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> Nadine? I, I just don't have push notifications on my phone. What was that really famous Netflix thing that came out at the beginning of the pandemic about how insidiously addictive our phones have become? And I went back in and I took off every single notification out of my phone. So I'm, I have no push notifications on my phone apart from Instagram, which I enjoy and I find <laughs> pleasurable. But so basically I only really check my email and I will, the first thing in the morning, I'll wake up and I'll check all, I'll manually go in and check my mm -hmm. emails, my Twitter for, because this is the other annoying thing is how often do we get a message now? And I know this drives Joe mad. How often do we get a message now? And in the back of your mind, you're like, I need to action that. But let me just get up and feed the cats and all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, and I'm like you, Claire. I haven't got children. I haven't got that really demanding life. And then you come back and you think, was it a Twitter DM? Was it an Instagram DM? Was it a WhatsApp <laughs> message? Was it a Trello message? Was it, an, was it actually a proper email? Like, that's the most formal means of communication now is an email back in the day we used to get letters for the thing and then you've got to go back to every single app and find where that message was which is why if I need to action something I don't care about boundaries I will action it because in the back of my mind leaving something unactioned unless I physically write it on a note and say I must pay my tax I must get back to my accountant you can tell what I've been doing this week all that sort of stuff then I will forget those minor things of thinking, I need to get back to woman's hour. I need to get back to, you know, Leslie Thomas at the times. Like, and then I'll wake up three days later in a cold sweat. Because if those things are important to me, I need to action them straight away. And I don't care if it's a Saturday or a Sunday. I've accepted that that's part of being self-employed and I'm fine with that. Yeah. I see I have a program on my computer where I can schedule them all, write them, and then uh, I, I assign a time. So most, and I'm like you, I go to my computer on the weekend, my podcast, my main podcast goes live on a Sunday, the next one goes live on a Monday morning. So I'm going to be at my computer at some point on Saturday or Sunday, just checking everything's scheduled and everything's as it should be, and then creating the social media assets and just lining them up. And I just sometimes think, oh, I'm really clear-headed. There's nothing. My inbox is completely quiet. I, I'm going to do all those emails that have been on my mind that I haven't got round to. And I write them all and I schedule, schedule them all to leave at 9am the next morning. Because I do now think my inbox hours for me are nine to six. I honestly think I the thing with Joe is, I would say that, that for me, the problem with Joe is, is, is she's got this huge backlog. And I personally would marry condo the hell out of that and I would probably just delete every unanswered email yeah. and start from scratch yeah. now because you have a different yeah. career you've gone through a fundamental life shift in the last year 
And I think it's just time to let all those unopened emails go. Oh, no, I did. These were new what? These are all from my new um, laptop that I've a new email that I've only had for about four months. <laughs> I, and you've got popular reviews. The thing is, the thing is, it's a little bit like you, you want to see that some Joe's of it. digital footprint is like a hoarder, right? And you, you can't, <laughs> you literally can't bear it. Now, I personally couldn't function like that because it would eat at me. It would eat, it would speak to me all the time. So the only no, way I, I, I have a, a sense of calm and control in my working life is to stay on top of that. And I accept that's but the way I am. But do you keep your emails? Nadine, do you keep your emails? Do you keep them? Like, or are you properly inbox zero once it's actioned, it's deleted? Oh, no, no. So basically, I will, I'll, I'll break them into archive if they are referenced for future for future res uh, research for like for example if i get an email and it says here's our latest retinols i'll archive it so that when i go back in and search retinols it'll come back up i'll reply and then after a while once i've replied i will go back through replies and i will start deleting them to the point where i do delete occasionally as you well know when you're waiting for this morning important stuff but for me <laughs> and this is why joe and i create such good contact content together we are yin and yang like if you were to look at my working surfaces, it's all really minimalist. It's that space of cleanliness that allows me to live in a frenzied mental space because I can't have a physical frenzied space. Yeah, I've got both. I used to be the same. I remember when I, it always used to be my bugbear on the magazine. So you get a printed out flat plan. This is the days when you used to get a printout. So you'd go away for a day, you'd do a shoot or you'd uh, be off for a week. And instead of the, art department thinking she's not going to be here for this issue so she probably doesn't need a new piece of a a3 paper you would get back to your desk and there'd be 25 sheets of a3 paper it makes your mind actually blow when you think about the recycling and everything and so immediately i just have to put those in the bin because it wasn't even relevant to the latest issue and then there'd be parcels on my desk and this note and that note and there were times when i came back from holiday and just got the big wheelie bin and just did the whole arm took everything off the desk because there was no way I could even think about starting to work. And I do Unless think that's going back to what I was saying about Joe. The reason Joe has a fundamentally different mindset is because Joe has been part of a big team. So if something fell through mm. the cracks, she had a whole team to pick it up. If something falls through the cracks for me, it's gone. Like I can't ever get that back. So I have to take personal responsibility for everything in my life. And I like that, I'm a control freak. That's why I'm self-employed. Yes, yeah, see, I'm not a control freak. I'm not in any way a control freak. I just don't, you know, if I lose opportunities or whatever, I just think, oh, well, you know, something else will come along. I just don't, I just, there's other things that are more important to me than than that stuff. And I Can just, I ask a quick question, Joe? I don't Have you covered yeah. your hair again? Yeah, it's gone yellow. No, yeah, it's yeah, really lovely. I'm just, but you've gone seriously blonde again. Yeah, do you know what? Since lockdown, I was, look, I was Dan and I, Dan was like, right, so it's yellow now, it's been blue, it's been green, pink. it's been a really weird shade of red, it's definitely been pink and it's been mauve. <laughs> all by accident. And no regrets. <laughs> if you, I hope you've oh, got I pictures or video yeah. and it's all TikToked. It doesn't look remotely yeah, exactly. yellow. It it's really all good, just it is a bit yellow, um, but it's. Um, I've got a really nice toner that Nicola Clark sent me, so I'm going to put that over the top. I that was say. a little aside. I've been meaning to do it for four days. If you're going to do anything to your hair as a blonde and Nicola Clark gives it the green light, then yeah, all good. 
they're so like it's so great like I'm so pleased that she gets to open her salon like mm. she was just like just tearing her hair out you oh know? my god they all were when I had to do that I had like literally 24 hours notice to do a thing about hairdressing um or, like how to look after your hair in lockdown um in for lockdown three and and literally that afternoon, I'd spoken to Sam McKnight, I'd spoken to George Northwood, like everyone was sitting at home, like desperate to talk to someone. They're just, I feel so sorry for all of them. I'm really it's curious. Awful. What do you think? Because they're, because I mean, I've always dyed my roots at home. I've never gone to a salon to get my brown hair dyed because that's just kind of ridiculous. It's different if you're blonde. But when I'm covering my greys, I just use a, an at home box dye. And I was doing a video on it, and somebody said, Don't you think you should be encouraging people to go into salons? And I was like, Oh, well, yes, obviously. But I would What's just that, never... oh, hold on a second. Don't you think you should just pipe down? <laughs> right. Do you know what? It's like all this judgment is just driving me nuts. Like, the, you know, we, we there was a comment the other day about, you know, we've got these makeup bags with beauty banks and they're 100% recycled. And I think there was a, and Sally was just talking through, you know, she'd editorialized it. So it wasn't just buy my bag, buy my bag. But it's like, this is what I keep in my bag as well. Two tampons. I wonder, Sally, do you not think about using tampons that don't have plastic, oh my God. blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, for God's sake, do you really need to have a conversation about what Sally puts uses for period? <laughs> you know, it, it's always something with people, right? You can... You can do whatever, but then it's like, oh, what about blah, blah? And you're like, But oh. don't you think that's because, like, it's the other, it's digital, it's the other side of a screen. I don't think anyone would come up to you. If you were, like, in a lady's loo and you had your makeup bag and you got tampons out, no one would come up to you and go, oh, don't you think you should probably be using a moon cup or anything <laughs> like that? I mean, like, uh, uh, do you want to borrow mine? <laughs> it's the, I just, I oh, the anonymity. I would like to it's think. It's the anonymity yeah. of digital exactly. exchange that is the problem. Yeah. If you wouldn't, and that's oh, the, I hope you're right. That's Claire. the rule, isn't it? If you I wouldn't hope. go up to somebody in person and say it to them don't bother to type it out and it's the same getting back yeah. to the context of an email don't bother sending an angry reply to somebody's email if they have misread you or miscommunicated and you haven't met them just press the delete button yeah yeah I must yeah. admit I've stopped I've stopped replying on my phone I've got I've very much got a panic mentality which is no surprise to you because you will know me somebody sends me an email and it's got to be actioned or it seems like it's urgent I have this real thing of, I've got to get back to it immediately and I've really learned and it's taken a long time I've really learned the value of just a letting people sleep on it allowing myself to sleep on it also just I really never reply to anything now if, if especially if I'm wound up by something if someone sends me something and I'm like what that seems rude I will never reply to it immediately I will sit on it for a while maybe screen grab it and send it to a few friends <laughs> and say what's really going on here and then that honestly makes the biggest difference and I feel like social media to bring it back to that as well is people seeing something and reacting within a second there's no opportunity to go away, have a walk, think about it. They're just firing off a comment. And social media, the amount of space you have, it's so nuanced. They might say something and they don't mean it necessarily to, to be critical, but it will be just by the very nature of the fact they've just sort of said something, as you say, Nadine, that if you blurted it out in the street to a stranger would be something you get an ASBO for, if they're still ASBOs. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, anti-social behavior order. For some of the things that are- <laughs> Yeah, I do agree. However, I feel like, 
I do agree. I just do also feel like the person that said that I look like Jimmy Savile didn't really do that. <laughs> didn't really do that as a sort of... <laughs> I think they'd considered that before. Who's you need to stop smoking cigars. Like, sorry, go back. Who said, and under what context, did somebody say you look like Jimmy Savile? Well, we've, I think I've definitely had a conversation with you about, and with Claire about this. So someone sent me this link and said, oh, have you seen this? The horrible people on here saying horrible things about you. It was that tattle thing. And I was like, well, I haven't seen it and I don't look at it, but now I've seen it, I can't unsee it. And um, yeah, this one woman said that she'd taken a, because I've done a few YouTube videos where I talk about PR because I was doing PR courses for a while. And they're actually, they're pretty good. Like they've they're been- They're really good. I've recommended them to people. Like loads Thank of young you. businesses find them really useful. Well, also they're just really helpful when people ask you the same questions all the time. Cause you're just like, oh, go and have a look at that. Cause I've done that. Anyway, she posted a picture of me. Um, and I usually do all things like this in Dan's office because the Wi-Fi is so much better. It's strong. The only reason I'm not is because Ivy's homeschooling in there today. And this woman had written, um, Oh, look at her. Look at all my books. I'm so clever. I don't want to talk about hairbrushes anymore. She looks like Jimmy Savile. <laughs> and I just thought, God, you know. And so I was like, God, my hair does look a little bit like Jimmy Savile. <laughs> and then I just posted on my Instagram and I just, I didn't put her name on it. I just sort of like crossed it out, but left a comment on. And I said something like, now then, now then, and put a cigar on. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, mate, you just need a friend. Like, I felt really sorry. And there's this really, like, it sounds quite like a crappy Taylor Swift song, but it actually, it's really, in that it's called, um, I don't know, it's about basically her calling out people who um, say things behind your back on social media, social media, and it's really good. And it says something like, you say it, in the, you say it on the street, that's a knockout. You put it in a tweet. That's a cop out. And then she goes, and I thought, hey, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, that's it, isn't it? There's something wrong with these people. But I think the thing, the thing about social media is, is people just say it and it's anonymous and they can blurt it out. And often it's an egg person, right, with no content and or very little content. But that's what mm. private WhatsApp groups are for. It's not that they're yeah, exactly. it's not that they're saying things that other people don't think. It's just the have a private group with friends. Well, do you think I look like Jimmy Savile? <laughs> have a private group with friends. Don't take it public. Yeah. I mean I have a yeah, I have a conversation with my friend Terry during certain reality TV shows and neither of us for our careers for anything would ever want those conversations to be public but it is a sport of, of just hate watching certain reality TV shows and slagging off the people on them but we would never tweet that stuff or say it to those people because fundamentally we're just trying to make each other laugh and just yeah. be and we talk about it all the time, like we're so hateful. Like I think, I, as I was going to bed last night, he said something about, do you think we're awful? And I just wrote back, I don't think we're that self-aware. Night, night. Just... <laughs> Sleep well. Sleep well. Um, but we would never want any of those things to, but that doesn't, but it probably makes us really two-faced if we ever came face-to-face -face no, with no, Gemma Collins. Actually, ultimately. Well, I wondered what you were doing, Joe. You made oh, bracelets. I'm bracelets. Look, this is my new thing. <laughs> Thing. Joe, do you uh, know what's on YouTube? 
answering your fucking emails. (laughs) 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 Oh, do you know what I just found? I'm going to send this to you, Nadine. Do you know what that is? I know what that is. It's so funny. My, I took my yogi to the vet yesterday. There were talks of a cat dermatologist. That's her cat, not her yoga teacher. No, no. <laughs> Anybody that knows um, me knows I don't have a yoga teacher. Whose clip is that? For, for listeners it, who... It was three doors down. Wait, watch it. Hang on, Nadine. Hayes's Q oh, salon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In, Listen, um, and the reason that Joe well, finds this funny... So, so the reason Joe finds this funny is we once did a Christmas video together where we talked about things we'd like to get for Christmas. And I got my Sid pin out because I've seen him create the most amazing looks with it. And it didn't make the video cut. And I've since deleted, I should have kept it. Now, Joe and I both have really fine damaged hair and we attempted to put this Sid pin in. And if you don't have, it's a beautiful thick machined pin, but if you don't have thick hair, it doesn't work. It only works with like- It must be good on your hair, Claire. Oh, oh, oh yeah, I've got one. Oh, darling, I'll send you Problem is mine because it's in this. And we were wet, we were crying with laughter at how we couldn't get this bloody pin to work. No. Anyway, he's sat it doesn't on, work on my hair either. He's two doors no. down from kittens to cats in queue. Can I just say that? <laughs> Who have a cat dermatologist? Nice. I love the cat dermatologist. Yeah, I was uh, wondering what you were doing, Joe, but knowing that you're making bracelets, it's quite interesting. I just thought um, she wasn't well, so right. sorry, interested I've... in us. <laughs> no, no, because I've just like, I've been doing, because I was going to, but look, they're quite cute, aren't they? They're lovely. Very cute. It's because it's, I didn't want to sit here and knit. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> I thought your hat was brilliant, Claire. You know, the one on the round thing, the round knitting needle. Oh yeah. You were really disparaging about that. That we've I become. thought it was really beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, no, knitting has been my saviour in lockdown. I, I know it sounds absolutely mad, but I'm, I actually pitched it a story doesn't. about this and I'm not sure it's going to happen. But I think the thing is that, and I didn't realise it until afterwards, I did a really interesting piece at the end of last year where I spoke to a lot of people, um, psychologists and neuroscientists, about the impact of lockdown on our brains. And one of them was talking about the fact that the reason why all this kind of like bread baking and banana bread and stuff has happened was because people were trying to take control of parts of their lives. And I had, I mean, I'd done bits of knitting before, but I've knitted quite a lot over the last year. And I think, you know, I realised that basically... Otherwise, it just felt like this year had been me sat on my ass watching TV. And at least I felt with knitting, I had something to show for it. Um, and I got like a bit of a new skill. Yeah, no, those round knitting needles or circular knitting needles was my new thing. But they were too, oh, I'm not going to go into it. It's boring knit chat. <laughs> what, have, what have you got? What have you done, Adine, in order to make lockdown not feel crap? Sat on my ass watching TV and I've loved every minute. I don't feel guilty about that. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't done a bit of exercise. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Because I've got on a phone, I've, I've had a really successful working year, which I incred I'm incredibly grateful that I can carry on working in this current climate when it's so hard for so many people. And I'm, I just, I'm not that tough on myself in that way. Like, I think it might come with age, but I just, if I'm happy sitting on the sofa with my cats watching Netflix, then I'm lucky that, that I find my pleasure in me. little things. It's not that I didn't enjoy it. I just, I just have had this real sense of like time flying through our fingers. Mm. And I think the thing is that it's like the, my perception and everyone's perception of time, I think is really bizarre. Like uh, various things that have happened a year ago seem like, like pre-pandemic seem like they happened three years ago. And while this pandemic seems to have gone on for ages, you know, when I was talking about writing another piece about um, hairdressers and how to yeah. do your hair in um, lockdown. And I was like, I'm sure I just wrote this piece. And then I looked and it was April last year. And my perception of time and the way that things have moved on or not moved on is what has, I found quite difficult, oh. which is why I was just felt the need for something tangible do you guys all want to come to our bar when oh, yes, yes. Yeah. completely also yes. can i just say i think you're right i think one thing that the pandemic's done is it's made us lose our sense of context in time so some things seem a long time ago and some some passages of time have, have contracted and some have relaxed and extended and i'm thinking the last time that we all saw each other was and emma and i I've talked about this. The last big event we went to was the opening of the Beauty Pie in Harvey Nicks. March the 13th. March the 13th, I was 2020. That's nearly a year and ago. That's yeah. And My that's really in interesting, right? That, that to me, in some ways, that seems like years ago. Like, because yeah, we've it's been, that was the very last launch we all went to where we felt that that change in the air that suddenly things were mm. going to to change and by the time we got I was home, still in front we that to announce the lockdown I remember being at that launch and then um, Eve Cameron from Good Housekeeping walked in and as she walked in she had had an email saying don't come into the office today because somebody's tested positive and that was when we all looked at each other and everyone was hugging and even though we were all using hand sanitizers we went upstairs and had coffee and, but that was the definitely the day when I remember I had a hair appointment afterwards, and on the way there I thought I shouldn't be doing this. I really I, that was the no, first that was the chance to do it. And it does, in some ways that seems like a century like ago. ago. Yeah, it seems like because 10 years ago. I didn't go. I didn't go. I was in France, but my sister, who is the biggest beauty there. pie fan, had been invited, and yeah, and went and introduced herself to Marcia, and um, yeah. But that does seem like so long ago. Such yeah. a long time. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when things go back to normal, using air quotes, do you, th do you think you'll go back thinking the, light, what the world has fundamentally irrevocably changed? Or do you think it will feel like nothing ever happened? I think it will feel like nothing ever happened. I mean, I think, I hope that I will acknowledge the joy that I took out of the things that I took joy from and and plan to again like the thing apart from people and like friends and family the thing that I've missed most during lockdown is restaurants and I love going out for dinner and I love going out for dinner with friends and I love food that's been cooked for me by someone else and hasn't arrived on a scooter um, <laughs> and I think like someone was talking about this and about how our lives are going to change and I just I feel very very lucky that actually what this has made me do is appreciate the way that I was living my life and because the things that were important to me I haven't been able to do like seeing friends traveling 
and eating basically and I just I can't wait to get back to all that and I think the thing is that you know everyone's been talking about how tired they've been feeling and I'm I really realize having spent a lot of time with people who are introverts and find it really exhausting to be around other people that I am genuinely an extrovert I love I'm very happy and very comfortable in my own space and working on my own but I do get energized by spending time around other people I don't find it exhausting to spend a night at a party or a night at dinner party I love it and see the company is well yeah there is that. <laughs> that's really interesting though because you just said so you you're saying you were really happy with the life that you had before and you want to go back to it but I think the narrative I keep hearing is my, I won't go back to how life think how life was before because I realized fundamentally that I wasn't living in a way that maybe was serving me I remember when I went on the middle and Annabelle Rivkin was saying this she was saying I will not go back to how things were before Joe, how do you feel um, I just feel really sorry. A lot of people coming and going in this house. I've also got um, the popo going down the street. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that I'm gonna. Do you know what I've? I heard someone say on the I think on a podcast or something the other day that they felt like this was just almost like a sort of apocalyptic moment that was needing to happen because people were getting too consumed in things that didn't matter and their phones and their whatever and actually the thing that does matter the most are the things that you can't like really it sounds really twee and stuff is just the things that you can't have right now right you can buy stuff you can buy shitloads of stuff the shops might be shut but you can still buy stuff you can still you know do all of that kind of thing but the things that really matter like hanging out with your friends and you know my kids having their friends over and it was Violet's birthday last week and we weren't able to do anything and we were you know it was fine and she's not a very privileged kid I don't feel sorry for her but you know it's those it's going to be the small things that I took for granted that I'm going to be so excited about and it might last it might not last but I'm going to enjoy it while that feeling does last that feeling of being able to just go to someone's house and just sit there and then you know not worry about it or worry about you know getting home for a curfew or whatever or sitting in a coffee shop or you know as Claire said eating in a restaurant or all of those things I'm just going to be so grateful for them I'm so looking forward to them what about you Nadine the only thing I've missed in lockdown is the energy of of my friends in real life and it is a fundamentally different energy that you get from being with somebody and it's very interesting so I Every day I make sure I do at least one really good call with a friend. I try and plug back into people and we empathize and we talk and we chat and all those things and they lift you up. But there is, say that's sitting at around 50% or 60% of the energy, but that 100% hit of seeing somebody that you truly vibe with, giving them a really big mm. hug, sitting there, it gives you the, the advantage to verbalize those bitchy comments but also to 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 have that meeting of minds where you create new ideas and you get that energy off somebody and it gives you that driving force to move forward know your place in life to have that burst of creativity that's just it's hugely missing like I love creating content with other people I love meeting new people and and absorbing information from them as a journalist I'm like the ultimate magpie and I, I don't want to create any more content on my own. I'm over myself. I want to start getting out and meeting 
people again. And I don't care about restaurants. I don't care about bars. I just want to get together with people. I don't care what setting it's in and talk to people. And that's how you expand your mind and stay alive and alert. But also, don't you feel like we've all run out of stuff to say? Like one of my friends, Marianne Power, who like does a weekly newsletter, and she was saying we've reached the kind of post-verbal part of pandemic because like, no, I feel a little bit like, I don't know if you were the same, like when I was doing my finals at university, all I did was revise. I had nothing to say. So on the odd occasion that I would go to the bar for like last orders to have a drink, just had nothing to say to anyone like I was brain dead and I just I mean like literally all we do now all the conversations I have with anyone are about what I've made for lunch and what I'm planning on making for dinner I mean it's like that's it I can't wait to have more stimulus around me to be like you know just have exciting things I mean even if it is just walking down the street and also if you think about how you and I make a living Claire or in fact all of us make a living we make a living by communicating ideas that we've I'm picking up ideas from, from other, other places and yeah and I'm like I've just been in yeah. I've just been in this room for the better part of a year and I just miss people even people I don't like I'm beginning to miss <laughs> yeah. yeah it's true well you I think that's need connection I remember very early on speaking to my family on a group call and sort of say they were saying how is everyone doing and I just said I'm so lucky that I do the job that I do because to your point, Nadine, at least once a week, I have a conversation with someone I've probably not met before who is, and I would call them an expert in their field. And they're usually an expert in their field who is, who's written a book about it or who is uh, doing publicity of some sort. And I find that really taxing. I find, I love it, but I feel like when sometimes when I get off the call of a podcast, like that's it, it's like I have to power down because I've just absorbed so much information. It's brilliant. And it stays with me, like Wim Hof the other day. How can you come off that call? He was unbelievably energetic. Yeah. He was like, Emma, was God, great. keep shooting. And I'm like walking around the flat afterwards, mm-hmm. just on a complete high, like after Lisa Rinner, I was dancing to Prince all evening because I was just so <laughs> excited. So I feel like I'm very privileged and incredibly lucky to do that kind of job because it is that communication that I do for a living that I think a lot of us are probably missing out on with our friends. But do you miss podcasting IRL one-to-one, like seeing somebody, that level of non-verbal communication? Yes, because I think you're absolutely right. And you always say it, what is it? 80, 65% or whatever of all communication is non-verbal. And I do, I do agree with you. And I think sometimes I'll be in a room with someone. And I remember sitting down to have a conversation with Caroline Goider, who's the incredible voice coach who works with a lot of A-list talent. And her voice in itself is really powerful. And we could have trotted out all the different exercises. And it just, it, it became really obvious just in how she was speaking. Yes, but in her physical presence, that her voice work had actually helped her with her personal work in terms of it had really grounded her. She was very centered and very level-headed and that actually had been a side effect of working on her voice and lowering her voice and working to train that muscle had actually centered her physically and almost emotionally. And I don't know as if I would have picked up on that had I not been in the same room as her. Joe, you look confused. No, I think you're right. I think you lose that sort of, you know, that bit sometimes when you're with your friends or you catch a look or a glimpse or whatever. And it's that bit where you're just like, you lose that nuance, don't Mm. you? Of that kind of, oh, you look like you were just thinking something. You look like you were just, you know, about to say something. What was it? And you look, there's nothing better than when you're with 
particularly your friends, and you catch each other's eye because you've both noticed something across the room or someone said something and you just have that moment of like connection and laughter. I just think it's so much hard. Like, this is great. This is as good as it gets, yeah. right, for now. But to actually just... I mean, I do care if it's a bar or if it's a <laughs> Very much so, because it just enhances the experience. Okay, let me ask you this question, though. So when I think about a bar now, genuinely, yeah. I'm not massive. I'm not a big one for, for busy buzzing rooms anyway. I find it massively overstimulating. So when mm. I'm thinking about a bar, I'm thinking... Well, if we reserve a private room, that would be really nice. But the idea of like going, queuing in a bar, having to, all of that stuff makes me love it. I feel like, no, but I feel like the best bits of socialising are about to kind of chime with me. It's like one of my friends was saying, when pubs opened, she was like, we got a seat. We didn't have to queue at the bar. Someone brought drinks over. I'm all for that. And I'm just saying, (laughs) I would love to go out clubbing, but I like to have my own space. So (laughs) meet a square on the dance floor, which is my space where I can just go large. I'm, I'm all up for that. Yeah, I agree. It's not, I'm, I'm not into doing that, all that elbowing stuff and get, no, I want a seat. I want a nice table. I don't want the music to be too loud <laughs> so that we can hear each other speak and stuff. No, I just like a nice sort of, but I like to be among people. And like my favorite thing, one of my favorite things to do is go to hotels and sit at the hotel bar. I love that. I Has love I gone wrong, Joe. Sorry. Huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> That's why I just sit there, just waiting. Okay. You ever been thrown out? No, okay. <laughs> yes. You I know have, what we want. That was you know what we're all spoiled by. We've all been spoiled by being looked after by people like Joe Jones. Because yeah. what we really want yeah. is we want a really busy nightclub restaurant to open. We want to be met at the door by Joe and her team. We want to be escorted through <laughs> and shown past the velvet rope to the VIP area. Yeah. Yeah. That's the dream, I know. Those right? days are long off. I know. It's, a, it's a very lucky part of the job and I don't think it'll be like that after lockdown and it hasn't been like that I haven't worked on magazines for such a long time although I'm not saying that I haven't experienced that since but do you think that it will be a, do you think it will be quieter or do you think it'll be busier when we go out no the thing is the difference with the beauty industry and lots of other different things I think well from a work perspective is that it's still incredibly um buoyant you know, forget the salon side of things because that's obviously a very different conversation. But the, the every, you know, there's not many beauty brands that haven't had their profits like boosted in lockdown. Even small brands that I've been speaking to. So I think, unfortunately, I feel a lot like a lot of those brands will just go back to doing what they were doing before um, because they're heritage brands. They're from big organisations. It's how they've always done things. But I do think that people will be less. Um, willing to be in big crowded spaces maybe i don't know no, no they won't they won't i mean did you, did you ever go into about Soho during eat out to help out the last oh, time i went to central london into in fact i went, remember going over the summer a couple of times and feeling fundamentally uncomfortable and then just before the final lockdown i met jackie ripley because her mum was hospitalized and her mum ended up dying oh, yeah. in hospital of covid and she really needed some support and some help. And so and that moment where you have to help somebody in real life. And we weren't in lockdown. So technically we could meet and be socially distanced. I went to Soho House and met her. We had our masks on. We were the only people probably in the whole house over the age of 50. We were respectful. We looked after each other. We walked downstairs. Nobody gave a fuck. 
about social distancing. Nobody had their masks on. We walked back through Soho. Soho was absolutely heaving because young people think they will never catch it. And if they catch it, they don't think they're going to get it badly and they're never going to die. Young people, quite rightly so, just they want to live their lives. So they don't think about the impact of their behaviour. They don't because it doesn't directly affect them. And I'm sure we would have been like that when we were younger. They are going to be out there going mad. The festivals are going to come back. Please, God, let the vaccinations work. Claire, what were you going to oh, say? Oh, like, I know so... Do you know... Oh, this is a little tip. Hang on, Joe. Hang on, Joe. Claire was about to say something about that particular... Oh, sorry, Claire. Oh, oh, no, it was, just, it was just... I suppose the thing is that, yeah, I think there is going to be an age divide. I think there is, like... But then also, I think there's, um, there's a belief like divide I'm working on a story about um micro trends post-pandemic micro trends I was speaking to someone about shopping and I said do you really think people are going to be like flocking back to the shops and she said did you still got me mm-hmm. yeah 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 um and she said did you not see um like Regent Street and Oxford Street over Christmas and like the number of people who Outside are out 90. there and who are yeah um, but I think the thing, I think what will happen is we're going to learn an awful lot more about young people um, getting coronavirus and not necessarily getting it badly. But I think long COVID, which doesn't seem to have the same distribution as the disease, is going to be more of an issue. What does that mean? It doesn't have the same distribution as the disease? Um, I think basically at the moment, what we know about COVID is that the people who are most likely to die from it, are, you know, it's that the older you are, the more at risk you are. But I don't feel like the long COVID is the same sort of distribution. I feel like you're hearing maybe it's because older people are more likely to die from COVID. So they're not going to get long COVID. But I just feel like the skew is a little bit younger. So actually, the bigger risk is to the people who survive it and who are then affected by symptoms in the long term. Yeah, long COVID is potentially the, the, the correlation is that long COVID seems to be most commonly associated with people in their late 20s, 30s and early 40s who are actually young and quite fit. So yeah, so that's really interesting. But I still think, you know, I'm surrounded by really young people because of what I do for a living. They get it, a week later they're over it and they're like, yeah, whatever, get me to Burning Man, get me to Reading, I'm going crazy. I, I just so so and I think that enthusiasm is important because young people will help kickstart the economy and they will queue around Nike Town and they will eat out to help out and all that sort of stuff happening because yeah, they don't have the to difference. think about the consequences of their actions because that's the advantage of you. That's the privilege of you. That's the difference. I personally don't think I'm ever gonna feel inclined to queue up again. I'll be like, oh, I've never queued it. up for anything anyway. I was never that. <laughs> Oh, Kel surprise. <laughs> but I don't, I just have no, there's there's nothing about life post COVID for me, life, life post lockdown for me that would make me think, oh yeah, I don't mind being in a crowded space. No, I, I, I have spent a year not being in them and I really like it. So I don't see any, unless, I don't know, I'm going to get to know all the spoilers for the next Marvel movie. Okay, so Jojo, <laughs> now bearing in mind, we've laughed about this on our content together. Can, are you desperate to go clubbing again? Now, bearing in mind, we have fundamentally different views of what clubbing is. So Joe's idea of clubbing is a mosh pit on the dance floor to David, to David Guetta. Like, would you go back to that <laughs> Yeah, I don't mind. Like, I'm quite sort of optimistic. You know, I don't really, I'm not freaked out about stuff. I'd happily get into a crowd. I'm not, I'm not bothered. I'd, you know, I'd, 
I'll be I'll just do whatever the rules are but yeah no I'm not frightened I just think that I'm not frightened I think there's a lot of things that do scare me but that's not one of them I'm not worried about getting or not getting COVID what I'm more worried about is like my parents getting it or something like you know that frightens me more because I know that the ramifications of that are much Mm. more um but what I was going to say is that there are unfortunately a lot of people who are not turning up to their vaccination appointments Mm. um and obviously the vaccine only has once it's been prepared or whatever and they prepare them all so that they can do a lot at the same time like it's quite impressive my um my mum's had hers and she was telling me about the whole process that she went it was really impressive they did a lot of people um and so those vaccinations will go to waste if nobody uses them within a certain period of time it might be 24 hours something like that so you can actually go on waiting lists now at some of these centers and if um they'll contact you and if you can get to the vaccination center within a certain period of time then you can have a vaccination even if you're not due to have one yet oh that's interesting because leah hardy uh, is um a vaccination uh, volunteer oh, sure. and she put yeah. something on twitter the other day saying that they did they had some surplus yeah they were about they to close those, yeah. and she ran out and just grabbed people i think they were like yeah. they were wardens and she said come in have your vaccinations yeah. that's yeah. really interesting there's one in Reading, which I think is the closest one to me, which is about an hour down the road. But I just think it's really useful to know that if, you know, if you are particularly someone that is, you know, that has a worry and a fear and it does, you know, it's very legitimate, then there is options that you may not have heard of to get you bumped up the list. Legit ones as well. That's really interesting. All, I'll have all to, options um... to be bumped up the list are legit, Joe. Or is that a whole nother Well, podcast? I know, but you know, like, it's not like someone's selling them on the black market or something like that, you know, <laughs> which maybe you, I don't know, but you know, it's not like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to stop talking now. You're not going to pay £28,000 to go to Dubai and get it done with that elite <laughs> club that I read about. Oh, does that, is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. On a Apparently private so. jet to Russian, uh, she was an influencer and he was a banker or something flew, didn't they? That is disgusting, isn't it? That said, I have to say, I can't believe that they don't ask for donations at point of sale, point of sale, point of delivery. (laughs) I would, I would, I would quite happily pay for my vaccination when my time. Oh, but I think this is a bigger issue. But that's the thing. Then it becomes a non-democratic. Then it becomes a. I'm not asking to jump the queue. Not to get it. I'm saying that when my time comes, oh right, I will quite happily pay and put the money back into the NHS as a voluntary. Yeah, but I think I think that's really problematic because I think fundamentally, and like you know, with no disrespect to anyone who's raised money for the NHS or any of the charities that have been raising money for the NHS, I have a fundamental, and I've donated to them, but I have a fundamental issue with the fact that I feel effectively you're asking people to do something that they're already paying their taxes for and I like I, I feel like I shouldn't get too political on this but I just feel no, like I understand. like sequential government mismanagement of the NHS and funding for the NHS yeah. is not like the idea that they should be bailed out and I think it's worrying because I think it was shown you know like and the outrageousness of like ministers suggesting that there was no problems with PPE at the beginning is just like uh, you know it's a collective jaw drop around the country isn't it I have to admit um I find it very very difficult to watch Man- Matt Hancock being interviewed I find I've it stopped incredibly watching, difficult 
I've stopped watching and listening to news. I can only read it because I just find there is not a single minister that I don't find offensive and for my own mental health. I've just stopped And do you know what it. it is for me? There's only one person I've seen recently where I've thought, okay, for me, it's that everyone can spot a bullshitter. You, everyone knows when someone is spinning them a line and that's all like, that's what I see. I don't see somebody giving straight, clear answers. I see somebody fudging the question and not being entirely truthful. And that is just stressful. The so Minister for it? Vaccines, and I'm going to look to my intelligent friend, Claire Coleman here for his name. Claire. <laughs> oh God, I'm gonna pronounce it wrong. So I can't remember. It, my mum always, my mum goes on about him the whole time. Question. And it's shocking. I just don't see, I just think it takes a position. I don't know whether they've been briefed to do that or whether it's a, a sign of insecurity, but I just think there's no shame in saying, that's such a good I question. Don't know. I don't know the answer. Please may I request information and come back to you. There's no shame the way, in saying that. The way they approach there we it. Go. Nadine like, Zahawi. Thank you, Nadine Zahawi. That's it. The, the way they approach it is like in the early early episodes of The Apprentice when you've got people who are being asked a question and they don't know the answer and so they fudge it. That's how it comes across. And for them to be in the, the position that they're in. And I've actually, one of the people that I'm trying to get on the podcast at the moment is an epidemiologist. And one of the reasons why I want him to come on is because he said, he actually says, we don't know. We don't know. And that begs the question, what would have been the impact of the government saying, this is a brand new, virus we don't know we think we think the best course of action and so the action that we're going to make you do we're going to implement is to make you stay at home what would have been the damage i'd be so fascinated to know did you see the horizon so program last night so the horizon program last night even going to the highest level and it was really well done it was really well constructed they answered all the right questions even the most senior virologists and epidemiologists are still saying actually right now We've learned so much, but we don't know. And I have so much respect for somebody coming full circle, an expert in their field saying, we don't know. The future is unknown. I cannot predict it. I can guide you in the right way. I can tell you that this is incredible. All the vaccinations, the creation, science has been incredible through this, but we cannot predict how this virus is going to react six months from now or a year from now. And I was just like, I was cheering at the TV because the truth is they don't know. And that's the whole point of science is science reacts to the unknown. But and don't you think there's a real problem? Like, And throughout all this, there's been a real problem. And I feel like it's something that I've sort of spoken about before is that there's a general misunderstanding among the population about how science works and how scientific development comes about. And like, I suppose what I love about it is the fact that you have various points of data which you know are your fixed points. And then you create a story around those points of data which is your theory and you say this is what we think is happening but then you get another point of data that comes in and you have to rewrite your story and so like but I, I feel like there's an expectation that science is fixed and that it's not mediated by people like they people two people can look at the same information and draw different conclusions from it and that doesn't need necessarily mean that they're both wrong or that one of them's right and the other one's wrong but I just I feel like we should be having more conversations at a younger level with kids in schools about the scientific method and how science works and how science evolves because I just think that would make for a far 
better and like happier generation of people who are more comfortable with the way that decisions are taken as if they are based on evidence. Do you think that that would mean that people wouldn't be questioning the vaccine and not turning up for their appointments? No, well, the people that are not turning up for their appointments are older people. Oh, it's not older yeah. people, Joe. It is. Uh, it's not. It's not. It it's not. It's sadly. It, is. I, it was on last. It's sadly, uh, black, Asian, and Middle Eastern people who don't have faith in the power structure of the NHS because they don't trust the NHS. So it's that. It is older people, yeah, but, but it's it, specifically. Oh, black, Asian and Middle Eastern people because they don't trust the power structure within the UK. You ask my mother's generation, so my mother's 85, that entire generation of working class white people never question doctors and they've all queued up and they've all had their vaccinations. And I think it's the generation out there now of our age group and the next generation down to inform their elders within their culture that this is a really important thing. They are most vulnerable, they're most at risk and they have to be vaccinated. But you also have to be respectful of the fact that they don't understand the power. They don't, they don't, they're worrying about the power structure because it, it's, they're not treated fairly within our society. So you have to both understand it and educate them and empathize with them to get them back out on the front line being vaccinated. But it is, but the, uh, like, but it is, my, actually my mum's generation is also the the ones that are like she and she's like what nearly 70 she questioned it so did um another your mum's a nurse well she but she's but she's also got a lot of health issues right so I'm not saying it's right I think everyone should get the vaccine but there was a study in um George's hospital in they did they've been polling and apparently this, the age group around 65, and it's not the super elderly, you know, it's not people that are 80 and above, but there's a sweet spot between people with 65 to sort of 75, who are from that generation of, um, you know, almost like activists and, you know, free love and all of this kind of stuff, where they're all a bit like what we're putting in our body. You know, my mum is quite hippy dippy. And I think that there are certain people that do think that are, it is, it is a very high proportion of particularly people of color that aren't getting it but a lot of those are english people you know it's not necessarily people from different um who live here for different you know that perhaps weren't born here there's just a distrust there's a massive distrust of vaccines in america it's a huge problem not even in the elderly but with people of all ages people a lot of people don't trust vaccines they don't trust what's in them and that's I blame Courtney Kardashian and Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, no, hang on a sec, because one of the things I, when this all started, when the vaccine was announced and when it was started being rolled out, obviously the first person I text is Claire Coleman. And I say, what is all this about people saying that they don't trust the vaccine? Surely if you don't trust the government, that's, that doesn't mean you can't trust the scientists. Like the vac, just because you think the government might not be doing a great job, it doesn't mean that the vaccine is, vaccine is somehow less effective or not a good quality vaccine but they haven't been painting that the problem is is the government have hijacked these scientists put them up in front of the bloody like the likes of us and shown for they've almost kind of not discredited them but they've not allowed them to sort of 
just really take the platform it's all been within I think the-, the thing is that the conversations that I've had with other friends of mine and like yeah I'm always like follow the bloody science of course you need to follow the bloody science but um one of my friends pointed out to me that actually this what the scientists are doing is not considering the economic argument which and it's the politician's responsibility to consider I mean this is broadly speaking about how the the country has reacted I mean I think what has become more clear is that you can't make a distinction between the economic argument and the health argument and that ultimately like by making sure that people don't have it and it's not being transmitted you can get the country back to an economically healthier state far more quickly but I do I you know I do think it is it is problematic that I think the thing that's most problematic is to say that you're following the science and then to not follow the science. Or to then media train the scientists to behave like politicians and not to admit that mm-hmm. they don't know. So you get, if you look mm-hmm. at the scientists that most commonly are held up now on either side, they're pe- performing like politicians. And that's slightly more, you want that, you want that Dr. Fauci moment of, you don't want him sitting behind Trump just going, You want that moment where he's just happy and comfortable in his skin. And as we well know, Claire, which I think is really interesting going back to our careers, not many scientists are media facing and why should they be? It's not their job. So if you've been heavily media trained, you become slightly shifty looking and you become shifty in nature because you don't answer questions. Do you know what I mean? So it's rare to find a really well honest, open, media-trained scientists. They're worth their weight in gold to us, but also to the government. But I'm like, I'm with you, like always, when in doubt, always put it to the test of a scientist. That's what I say. And interestingly enough, going back to the Horizon programme, the scientist, the virologist, and epidemiologist that said, we don't know, guess what? She was like a 60-year-old, 65-year-old woman. So she didn't have that slightly masculine ego of, of being horrified not to answer a question. And I love that. She was my favourite mm. person. I highly recommend the programme. Go watch it. It was it's by the, presented by the, am I mispronouncing their names, the Van Tulahan twins. Oh, I know who you mean. Yeah, It's yeah. really good. I'll try and find the link and put it in okay. the show notes. I feel like we have um, potentially, I mean, because I do know this could go on for several more hours and could cover a lot of territory and could also get quite get your, involved get out your cocktail making kit and let's start drinking girls. oh yeah oh yeah it's just there it's just there what is that what, what cocktail have they sent what is it I, think, I don't know i just i just sort of i haven't really had a proper look but i just received it earlier but it's got i think it's got three little bottles of vodka and some stuff to make something look at the little smile first... on joe jones's face well, I had my first drink in, in. I had my first drink in about eight weeks last night. I had an amaretto. That's very, very nice. Thank you very much. Oh no, Claire's you about to have it. On. You've only had one drink in eight weeks, because... and you chose amaretto. That's all I had in the house. It was either that or cafe patron, and it was too late. Um, I was having a Zoom call with some friends, and I was like, they were all drinking. I was like, give me a sec, and I that was in the cupboard. No, I had some I I sent some probably sent some champagne with a beauty launch and I drank two glasses of it and I didn't enjoy it and I had a migraine that was so bad it prompted a migraine that was so bad I actually just thought you can never ever drink alcohol again and then the dean was like you can drink alcohol you just don't need to drink the dean bagger approved alcohol (laughs) only clear alcohol helmet fierce and clear spirits at all times with mixers 
sugar-free mixes and some sort of form of vitamin C. I mean, it's, it's also, it's like Emma and I having conversations about her being perimenopausal, which I doubt very much, but she's getting to that point now where she's tipping over and she can't take the congeners in drinks. Yeah. White wine, it's just, and I, my face blows up and I am, it's like I've got the worst stuffiest cold. You actually, and yeah, so you can, actually sound like you're having an allergic reaction. Like yeah. I, you sound it's the way horrible. I, in fact, you even sound and look the way I do when I get hay fever. So it's a histamine reaction in your nose and eyes. And yeah. Throat. Yeah. Look oh, at the look on Joe's really face. Horrible. The thought that one that would be my worst nightmare. Joe could be allergic <laughs> to alcohol and sent her apoplexy. I know. <laughs> But do you know what? I love. There's nothing I love more, especially like it's the first proper day today. It's the it's so beautiful outside. It's like a proper spring day. You can't believe it was snowing three weeks ago. You really can't. Mm. And today is the kind of day where, if someone came around in the afternoon, it would be only polite to pour an ice cold glass of pink champagne. And I just I'm now too frightened because that migraine was so bad. Like there were points when I was just kneeling on the floor with my head between my knees just going I this is just the worst this is just awful I, I just I couldn't can imagine I just feeling say okay though here. Emma that weather also shouts margarita salt ringed margarita on the rocks <laughs> to me <laughs> yeah I'm whispering angel rosé <laughs> I can't I can't abide whispering angel I would like to try Vanderpump rosé though I do have to say I need to ask this one, one question because I know Emma will ask because she is the bravo stroke hey you queen right uh, is it mm. true that all the pump restaurants have closed? All of the Vanderpump restaurants are closed. They've gone into sort of are receivership. Are you asking yeah, me or are you I'm asking, asking you? Oh, I've oh, got I don't no know. clue. I don't. Claire's literally looking at us as if, quite rightly, <laughs> as if we're fools. <laughs> Look, we just have different tastes in like in TV. Married at first sight, Australia. I need to catch up on, but that I is tried that yet. I love it. <laughs> You? It's so compelling. Sally's obsessed. I got told off just so surprising. Sally's, Sally's obsessed. I just, I don't know. I just, I mean, but in exactly the same way that I watched Love Island, I find people endlessly fascinating, and I find insights into. And I guess actually, Love Island and Married at First Sight are similar because you get to witness or view relationships unfolding in front of your eyes and I, it's a microcosm of every relationship that you've ever had or the men that you meet and that's I found it fascinating. The thing it made me really realise is watching all of those programmes where they get a group of guys together and a group of girls together is just that fundamental thing it's just the animal hormones if you get men and women together they will couple up it's just it's so fascinating seeing those attractions happen and seeing like the division of, um, I say the division, but people establishing roles in a group. Like I used to love about Big Brother, there would always be an alpha that would probably be established either really early on or would wait very quietly while someone burnt out and pissed people off and then suddenly emerged as like the king or the queen of the house. I find that stuff really fascinating. But I think that's the thing. I think if you're interested in people, then like observing them is just like endlessly fascinating. I don't, I, I know it's really, it's a sort of television that is really disparaged, but I kind of refuse to sort of consider it guilty pleasure because I just kind of think, if you like, I mean, you know, own it. Like, if you like something, own it. It's not like that's the only thing I watch, um, but I just kind of think, yeah, fascinating. I, I am also always- Sorry, postman delivery. I was almost always, I'm 
always made to feel better about the fact that I watch so much Bravo because Joe McGarry, who's been on this podcast, who is one of our learned friends, who is one of the most, she's so clever and just so creative. The fact that she watches it too makes me feel better about it. <laughs> she's just, she is just as into it as uh, I am. And I love the fact that I can talk to her about Madison from Southern Charm. And she gets it. See, Nadine, I told you, Nadine, you should have got into Southern Charm. I think you would really like how... I think what is Southern Charm? Southern Charm is set in Charleston. And it's essentially, it starts off, because it's on series, series seven now, I think it's just finished. But essentially, it's just following guys around Charleston, like good-looking players around Charleston. And then what's kind of happened is that it's really exposed their toxic masculinity and misogyny. And the girls within it are really cool. Some have come, some have gone, but then the new wave of girls are the ones who are calling them out. And it's just it's watching the power shift and how they, like one of, Madison calls this guy a Muppet mouth because she just keeps talking out. She's like, shut your Muppet mouth. And it's just wonderful. It's just absolutely brilliant the way that they're just calling these guys out who are just, Playboy. It's a Bravo thing. It's they're all created by a channel called Bravo in the States, Claire. So, oh, yeah, I don't. Nadine and I would like to be the president. Netflix. Some of it's on Netflix, right? I'm going to let you all go because um, we've been nattering on. Things. I really need to go to the loo. <laughs> <laughs> but this was the point of the town meeting, which was basically I love the fact that we went from vaccinations and government policy to. Married at Bravo. First Sight Australia, bravo, and goodness, else what, goodness knows what else. But thanks for taking part and for being good sports as always. You know you're my faves. Oh, thanks for having thanks us. So Hopefully we can see each other properly soon. I've can got... we jump on a call after this, Joe Jones? Yeah, I'm just going to go to the loo and then I'll give you... All right. A... Yeah, Claire and I are going to have a call, so, you know. Yeah, fine. <laughs> Claire, send me your address. Oh, I will do. See you later. Right. Thanks, thanks for guys. Bye. 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 Bye, guys. Bye, guys.